Welcome to the On With Jahan podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the channel. A longtime friend, Jack Mula, joins the podcast. He's a former sports agent, former general counsel of the Patriots for three championships, and a Waltham legend. Jack, thanks so much for joining. Well, thanks for having me, Shahan. Awesome. So, Jack, I obviously know you. Um, I'm, you know, CJ is one of my best friends. Your other, your other sons, you know, uh, Ryan and Evan are also super close. But for those that don't know you, I gave a brief background. But I'd love to know, you know, uh, your background, how you got started as an agent, and then what led you to the work that you're doing today. So the background is mainly uh, just a regular Joe from Waltham here. Um, you know, it's a tight-knit community, Shahan. Right. Um, and actually, uh, my start in sports came because of a friend that I uh, grew up with and played high school ball with. Um, that would be Fred Smurlis, who's positioned over my shoulder over there. Um, Fred was a Waltham High wrestler, All-American wrestler, football player, went to Boston College. Uh, at that time, we had about 13 players go on to play Division One ball, which was pretty unusual for a New England town. Usually you find that down in California, Florida, or Texas. Um, but we were a tight-knit group. Fred went along to Boston College, was fortunate enough to be drafted by the Bills, Buffalo Bills. And he hired uh, perhaps the, uh, the preeminent agent at the time, Bob Wolf. Hmm. Bob Wolf um, represents uh, Larry Bird, uh, Julius Irving, uh, Larry King, and a number of others. So Fred hired Bob and um, became an all-pro, I believe, in his second year. And at that time, I think Fred was making about $45,000 in an all-pro. And I believe the NFC nose tackle, the all-pro on the other side, was Leroy Selman at the time, was probably making about 500000 hmm. Far cry from some of today's salaries. But nonetheless, Fred uh, desired a new contract. Uh, his agent told him that um, he doesn't renegotiate. He extends only. So Fred, in his infinite wisdom, said, well, I want someone who'll get me a new contract now. <laughs> so he actually left Bob Wolf's office, which was located two blocks from my law school in Boston, wow. came to my law school, found me in a classroom. And uh, the next day, we were on our way to Buffalo. And um, that began my agent career. Um, it didn't work out well for Fred. <laughs> uh, it did a year later. Uh, but uh, that uh, trip out to Buffalo was um, an eye-opener. And um, started the business. I ended up with a number of Boston College players and um, continued right along until the time that I joined the Patriots, which was uh, in the late 90s. So... My third year of law school, I had my first client, and um, it was wonderful. It was great. The relationships you build with the players are fantastic. Yeah, and uh, I can attest to the close-knit nature of Waltham and the people there. So him wanting to work with you actually makes a ton of sense, and that's a, such an interesting story of how you started your career. Um, you know, for those that don't know, actually – you know, I asked you about being a sports agent. You gave me a lot of the, the real stories of things, how things go down, really. And I don't think, I think the way that you described it, 
actually, you didn't scare me away from sports agency, but you made it, you painted the picture of exactly what it was, the job with no, you know, rosy colored glasses. And it made me, maybe the determination for me that like, maybe this isn't the right path for me. So you were actually a big influence, I think of nudging me in the right direction of more tech entrepreneurship and all of that. But I know you're a huge influence on others in the Waltham community. So piggyback on, on that after your sports uh, agent run, um, how did you get the role with the Patriots? What led you from moving from an agent to a general counsel of, of the New England Patriots? It was actually, uh, again, some Boston College players that I was representing, um, one in particular, Chris Sullivan, defensive lineman. Uh, Chris was drafted by the Patriots, so I was negotiating a contract with the Patriots. Um, I had done previous ones with the Patriots. At that time, they were owned by the Sullivan family. Um, this was well before the Crafts had bought the club. Uh, so my experience was with a, um, a gentleman by the name of Bucko Kilroy. Bucko Kilroy was an all-pro uh, back in the 40s. He actually played for a team called the Steagles, which was a combination of the Steelers and the Eagles. Hmm. A lot of uh, pro players at that time had to uh, serve in the World War, and uh, they didn't have enough to stock uh, the teams, so they actually combined teams. Well, Bucko was a um, – he was a colorful player uh, called uh, by Life magazine – the dirtiest player that ever put on a football uniform. <laughs> and you had to love this guy because he was in his seventies, six foot two, about uh, 300 pounds. Um, and he was a bear of a man, but he was just a, a wonderful person. He actually began along with a gentleman from IBM, uh, the systems that are still used today by at least a few teams and very successful teams, including the Patriots. Uh, in the Cowboys, um, where they use data analytics um, for scouting. So Bucko and I became friends. Um, Bucko had working with him Bobby Greer, another local gentleman. Um, Bobby was a um, director of player personnel who became a general manager. Bobby's son now is the general manager of the Miami Dolphins. Um, so it was through my relationship doing work on behalf of players that I got to know Bucko and Bobby well. Uh, they both survived the transition from the Sullivans, and there was a couple of interim owners to the Crafts. And when I began to negotiate um, for Chris, um, I got to know the new owners. And uh, as luck would have it, um, they were in the midst of trying to arrange a new stadium. Right. You recall, Shahan, they almost went to Hartford. Right. Can you imagine that? They almost located in Hartford. Not <laughs> knocking the kids from Hartford, but right. um, how things may have turned out so differently had they located themselves in Hartford. So I had a background in municipal law. I had worked as a city attorney, uh, permitting, zoning, and whatnot. Um, that combined with the sports work that I've done uh, representing players, right. um, they thought it was a uh, perfect combination for what they were doing. So I was more or less recruited by the Kraft family, uh, met them all, and that started my career um, working in the front office. 
That's amazing. Yeah. And I didn't know you did that work with the zoning and all that before uh, your agency work. So yeah, that's a great combination. So you were, you were helping with part of building out Gillette Stadium and I think it's called Patriot's Place around it. Yeah, it is called Patriot Place. Funny how we got that name because um, in most cities or towns, there's a usually a city engineer or a register or a clerk or someone who will just assign you uh, a name. Well, we didn't have a street. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was Route 1 out there. We couldn't call it Route 1 Stadium or uh, Route 1 Place. So um, we simply went into the clerk's office and said, is Patriot Place available? And they said, yes. I said, well, great. We'd like to reserve it. Now, I did that without any permission from the crafts or anyone associated <laughs> with New England. I just felt that it sounded well. Uh, so when they came up saying, uh, what should we call this place? I said, well, it's already registered with the town as Patriot Place. Um, so I took a little initiative and was rewarded, which um, I learned later on. Um, um, usually you got to check yourself when you're working down in Foxborough. Uh, once Bill arrived, things got a whole lot tighter. Right. Well, I did not know the backstory behind it. That's hilarious. That's breaking news here for, uh, for all those that didn't know that. Uh, oh, we had a lot of fun down there. A lot of, there was a lot of behind the scenes breaking news down there, Shahan, believe me. But yeah, it was the real estate. Um, we had to develop Patriot Place. We actually had to uh, back out of the Hartford um, stadium situation. Uh, and quite honestly and very seriously, there was, um, there was quite a few hurdles down in Foxborough. I will recall uh, there was actually a manufactured home community hmm. uh, down in Foxborough on the grounds that are currently Patriot Place. Now in uh, Massachusetts, like in many other states, um, there was a racing track, a horse racing track that actually sits where the current stadium is. And that horse racing track um, was seasonal. Mm. So as a result, a lot of the trainers, the owners of horses, the jockeys, they would come in seasonally and stay on the grounds and manufactured homes. Wow. They would then, when it gets winter and the season turns, they would go to places like Bowie, Maryland, uh, and other tracks further down the eastern seaboard. Well, that manufactured home became a year-round community um, once racing stopped. So we had uh, families and individuals who have been living there for decades that all of a sudden you're uprooting them. And, and that's, you know, quite emotional and painful to a lot of them. Some have children in the school system. Uh, some actually had ties to the Patriots. Believe it or not, we had a punter uh, who spent two years with the Patriots. He took his signing bonus money and he bought a couple of horses. <laughs> He ended up staying there. So 30 years later, no one knew there was a punter from one of the original Patriot teams living on the grounds. Wow. Well, we had to relocate every one of them. Um, it was emotional, difficult, um, but we got it done. Hmm. And that uh, cleared the way to allow us to build the new stadium. Yeah. Yeah. That's man. There's so many different stories that you would never know about. Um, and, and what I find really interesting about your background is um, that you work with both um, the business relations as well as athletes, as well as you know different legal things that you're working on. Um, so after you uh, you made your run with the Patriots, uh, talk to us about your career 
uh, now working with entrepreneurs, different businesses, um, different CEOs of different companies in various different industries. And the question I really want to ask for you specifically is, do you see parallels between successful athletes and successful business owners? Well, we'll start in reverse. So the last question, most definitely. Um, I think there's uh, two things that both need for success. Um, and one is that persistence. It's that grit. Um, it's going forward with something that other people will tell you there's, there's doubt there. Um, take the safe road. Um, you're risking a lot. But that's what an entrepreneur is. Um, an entrepreneur faces that fear and dives right in. And I think that's the same with athletes. Um, you know, professional football in particular is a, is a violent game. Um, to stand down on the sidelines of an NFL game um, and see 300 plus men smash into each other hmm. for 100 plus plays, to see uh, someone run 40 yards across the field and take out another human being who's running the opposite way, there are some violent collisions um, and every one of those men, especially those who, who end up with families and children, um, they know that they are one hit away from losing their career. Mm -hmm. um, so athletes have a heck of a risk. Same with entrepreneurs. So um, to have that strength, to have that discipline and that grit to continue on, I think it's characteristic of both entrepreneurs and athletes. And the second is the ability to adapt. Um, I think um, it's pretty easy when you look back at the successful startups who have become unicorns, um, as well as some of the sports teams that have figured out a way to, to win and win consistently. And that is due to their ability to adapt and adjust. Um, and I don't mean going in at halftime and drawing different plays on the board saying we're getting a butt kicked up the middle so we need to spread these guys out um, and attack at a different location i mean adapting and advancing in game mm -hmm. i mean making changes and having the guts to throw out the entire game plan and begin again in the middle of the first quarter right. or the third quarter right. and i think an entrepreneur also needs to pivot he needs to adjust um, he needs to first orient himself as to what is the environment around him, observe what's going on, um, develop alternatives, and then, quite frankly, um, you need to have the intestinal fortitude to go for it. Make that decision and don't be afraid of change. Um, don't listen to the noise and just go do it. So, yeah, it's, uh, it is businessmen and athletes have a lot in common. As to the beginning um, of your question, uh, quite frankly, the time after being an agent, which was a few decades, spent a decade with New England, I had the ability to change. Um, fortunately enough, I was in a situation where I could do what I wanted. I didn't have to go to another club. Um, I didn't have to continue to work for someone. So I joined with a couple ex-NFL guys and we began consulting for some of the major college programs. And I was often visiting the Alabamas, the LSUs, uh, Georgia, Auburn, 
meeting some wonderful people, some fantastic players, and got to counsel young men and their decision to enter uh, the professional ranks. Mm. And uh, that was uh, tremendously rewarding, both as a business, but also personally, to be able to share what I had with some of the uh, college players coming out to join the NFL. And what were some of the things you would talk to them about, like, you know, predator, predator type nature of different people working with them, knowing how to manage finances and fame? Was it along those lines, Jack, or was there other uh, things you were talking about? It was probably about? more nuts and bolts, Shahan, in that um, we, we kind of laid out a timetable for them. Um, those freshmen and sophomores, um, quite honestly, we told them to concentrate on their academics and the athletics, and they needed to compartmentalize that. Um, but once you became a junior or a senior um, and you had the talent um, and you saw that you could play in the NFL, you had that at least opinion of yourself, we then could get them a little closer mm. by identifying um, what NFL clubs are looking for. We actually would go over scouting reports. Um, we would talk to them about certainly the physical characteristics and traits that are needed for the NFL. But you're right, we also went into the mental part of um, scouting. Um, people would think that because of the success of the combine and what's on TV now and the content that's created and the tremendous athletic ability that today's pro athletes have, that that's enough. Um, while they can separate themselves because of their physical ability, there's a lot of people who are big, fast, strong, mean, um, there's not a whole lot of people who can combine that with the mental discipline, the mental toughness. And that's what separates a lot of the fantastic athletes and tremendous physical specimens from people having a 10-year career or one-year career. Mm -hmm. So we would show them an actual scouting report, and they were just astonished to learn that in an average report of three pages, two pages are about the person about his work habits, about his ability to learn, adapt and adjust, the discipline that he exercised during his high school and college days. Yes, we had the boxes for how many times you can bench press 225 pounds or how fast you can run a 40-yard dash. But when they saw that this was an actual scouting report and how much was learned off the field, a lot of them had their eyes opened. And uh, we were happy to do it. I'm surprised it wasn't done before. Um, but I continued doing that for five years and absolutely loved it. And that business continues today. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's, that's very much needed, not, even, not just for athletes, for entrepreneurs too. All the things that you were talking about, um, you know, it's not just the business, but it's the person behind that, making sure that you have the mental strength and you have the right goals in mind and nothing is going to stop you um, from getting to all of those things, no matter what is going on, a coronavirus, uh, a pandemic, different business shutting down. So speaking of uh, pivoting and adjusting, one of the things I've been watching, I think it's a terrible product, uh, the NBA bubble and the product that's being put out now. With that being said, I'd rather have it than not have it. Um, but what are your thoughts on the NBA bubble? Is this sustainable? Do you think if this goes on to next year, they'll cancel the season? What are others, you know, sports uh, like the NFL doing? Um, do you have like overall thoughts? And then if you want to touch on anything specifically, I just want to get your thoughts as a professional. Well, specifically the NBA bubble. I mean, 
let's face it, professional sports lifeblood is the revenue that comes in from media contracts, the gates, sponsorship, um, not unlike college sports. Um, college sports, of course, is driven by really two things, the football revenue, as well as the NCAA basketball tournament. But the NBA, um, the NBA needs revenue to continue. I mean, the salaries that are paid to the athletes are, um, I don't think you can afford that just because you're an owner with a heck of a lot of money. You can't afford that over a couple of years. You can't sustain those losses. Hmm. And while the values of franchise have risen, it's pretty clear. Um, it's the day-to-day -day, uh, work. So without having the sport, if they were all of a sudden to shut down, I don't think the NBA would go away, but there would be some financial pain and that would be spread around to a lot of people. And we usually just think of the owners, the league, and the players. Well, there are a whole lot of people who make their living um, in professional sports working in the venues. Um, there's a whole lot of people who are ticket takers, uh, people who deal in concessions, people who deal in maintenance, uh, people in security. Um, there's a lot of people besides just the athletes and the coaches and the owners in those buildings amounting to, you know, hundreds of people and in, in some instances, thousands. Right. So the attempt to put it on coupled with an absolute regard for safety, which is the bubble, I think is the only way to do it. So I mm -hmm. applaud the NBA right. for trying to put things as back to normal as they can. Um, but that's a process also. And they've adapted and adjusted um, I don't think the NBA, as opposed to, say, Major League Baseball, um, where they're having so many problems, they're unable to control some of the athletes and what they're doing. Hmm. Quite frankly, Shahan, I look at what's happening in baseball. Again, when you're in uh, the NBA, you've got 15 players on a team. When you're in baseball, you've got 30. Right. Now, um, when you're in college football – You've got 90, 100, <laughs> um, 18 to 22-year-olds. So if we can take anything from what pro sports is doing, I think we need to have a much higher regard um, for the sons and daughters who are 18 to 20, 22 years old who, like the pro teams, actually supply the labor and the entertainment for college sports. Hmm. I'm a little concerned about where that's leading. Um, there's a movement afoot by Pac-12 athletes, student athletes, and those from across the country, as well as some parents, to have a higher regard in asking the NCAA, the athletic department, conferences, to have a higher regard for the safety of the athletes. Um, I applaud that, quite frankly. Um, the pro teams obviously have more money to put into testing and tracing and sanitization. You can lock people away in a hotel. I read this morning the uh, Saints have booked a hotel in downtown New Orleans so the player and their families can take up that entire hotel. Uh, I think they've booked half of the hotel while training camp is open. Wow. They can do that because of the money. In colleges, that revenue comes from TV and comes from the gate and a little comes from donors and the school student fees and whatnot. I don't know how they're going to go about and replace that quite frankly. And 
I think erring on the side of caution, I believe that we'll probably see many cancellations of fall sports, including football, unfortunately. As much as I love it and I've been able to work at it and I'm a great fan of it, um, I just don't see football, college football, continuing this fall. Yeah, and the point you made, I mean, you made a lot of good points there, but the, um, the one specifically about, you know, uh, college athletes um, not having the protections or the resources to do t proper testing, like you were saying, or isolate themselves. On top of that, they're not getting paid. I mean, that's a huge concern that, you know, even as football fans, um, you know, we need to take into consideration. And I think based upon that, yeah, there's, it's a high risk that this is going to come back in the fall or anytime soon for that matter until you know some safety precautions are in place with that being said the rock recently um let me just see what the article said at least the thumbnail uh Dwayne the rock johnson investor group agreed to buy the xfl do you think that the rock is uh looking into the future kind of and saying the nfl is in a lot of trouble and if I can buy this on the pennies on the dollar, then maybe I can set myself up for something when we figure this out in the future. I mean, what do you think about his play? He does have some connections to the WWE when he was there. So this is an interesting acquisition. Yeah, well, first, quite frankly, the NFL is not in trouble. <laughs> okay. Um, the NFL is looking towards new media rights deals, which will probably see a 50% increase. Oh, okay. Um, the NFL may be playing games without fans this fall, hmm. and they're certainly going to attempt, um, and who knows where that goes. Um, you can't put the NFL in a bubble, um, uh, unlike Major League. Well, Major League Baseball is not really in a bubble. It's really NBA and the NHL. Hmm. PGA. PGA is outside. It's singular. It's a singular competition. The NFL is a lot different. Um, so I don't think the NFL is in trouble other than the fact that that amount of revenue that will come in from the gate will certainly affect them and it affects the salary cap. Hmm. Fortunately, both the management owners have negotiated a new deal and I believe the ink is dried today with modifications to the collective bargaining agreement to spread out the effects of the cap. Uh, without fans, you're going to have clubs losing $70, $80 million, and that's a pretty hard hit. Now, that's $70, $80 million that will eventually have to come off the cap. Um, and you couldn't sustain that of one year. Um, with a cap's $200 million, if all of a sudden it's to drop by $70 million. So they got together, the owners um, and the union, and they've worked out a compromise to spread that over the next few years. Hmm. Um, the Rock buying the xfl i absolutely love it yes um dwayne johnson um and uh, danny garcia his uh former wife along with jerry cardinal uh have purchased the xfl actually the purchase hasn't closed okay um and there are some legal mechanisms that uh, are being undertaken by a creditors group that may actually delay um or actually um put an end to the rocks bid um, I believe there's a hearing on Friday to hear the creditors group. Um, they believe that there's assets there um, that um, they need to not have transferred to the buyers for the $15 million price. It's always money, right, Shahan? Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that The Rock has jumped in, I love it. He is an entertainer. He loves football. Former college player, University of Miami, former Canadian Football League player. 
uh, obviously a tremendous success on the big screen. Um, those who know him um, say he is just an all-around um, gentleman. Um, his ex-wife, Danny Garcia, what she's been able to do um, in her entertainment career. She's also a professional bodybuilder. Right. I think it's fantastic that both of them are involved. Jerry Cardinal is a former Rhodes Scholar and Harvard Business School graduate who's extremely successful. Um, I think those three together, uh, along with uh, perhaps some new blood, um, I believe the XFL um, can certainly be a supplement to pro football. There's no way it's replacing the NFL, and, and I think the owners would tell you that. But I think there's a market. Um, I think the American... Uh, appetite for American football is insatiable. Hmm. Um, and if the season is canceled in college and you've got no fans playing in uh, the NFL, um, the players not playing in front of any fans, I think you're going to have one heck of a spring. Um, so they've got a heck of a task to pull that off. Um, if they do it, wouldn't surprise me. The rock has been in worse situations before and pulled <laughs> things out. So let's hope that, uh, He's got some magic left. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think you're totally spot on with the Rock. I mean, anywhere the Rock goes, uh, there's going to be a lot of energy, enthusiasm. It's going to bring attention, good attention, back to the sport. Um, I think it's good uh, for the overall sport. And like you said, with the gap in potential college sports going away or the fans, um, there's going to be a lot of attention that can go towards this direction. Um, so, in some like parting words for advice for entrepreneurs or new athletes do you have any advice like you mentioned a lot of the characteristics of what you see differentiates at good athletes or good entrepreneurs from from those who are not as good um but do you have any advice for for those who are maybe starting on the journey or or at a path in their life where they need to level up do you have some like parting advice for for people of maybe how to approach this yes most certainly um, I will think back to, to where my sports career began. It was because of, uh, over here, it's because of Fred, okay? Let's bring Fred into the picture, okay? Um, What's up, Fred? This is Fred, Walt Dam's Fred Smurlis, okay? All-American, all-pro, uh, Hall of Fame nominee. I'll tell you a story about Fred. When we were graduating high school, we put together a summer league basketball team. And back then in the 70s, it was quite competitive. Um, you had players come from all over the Boston area and participated in a lot of summer leagues. Well, we were just a bunch of uh, football players who would go and play basketball after we lifted weights. Hmm. Um, so complicating the fact that uh, none of us were basketball players, we all were just showing up with um, our muscles stiff as could be. <laughs> and they told us we all need shirts. Well, everyone was sponsored by local businesses. So Fred said he'd take care of the shirts. So he went out and purchased shirts for all of us, handed them out. And on the back of every shirt, it said, we think we can. Hmm. Now, we knew we were going to get our butts kicked. We knew perhaps we'd lose every game. But Fred, and what drove Fred was that in order to succeed, in anything you do, you must first believe that you can. Hmm. There are doubters everywhere. There's noise everywhere. 
there are those who have an unyielding regard for enjoying success of others, those are the people you need to surround yourselves with and you need to shoo away those people who believe it or not may actually be rooting for you to fail. Hmm. Instead of thinking of failure as something to stay away from, we knew we were gonna fail, accept failure. Don't fear it, it's going to happen, but it's only gonna make you stronger. And if you don't think you can succeed, you won't succeed. Hmm. So whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. We knew what we were doing there. It was supplementing our training for football. We weren't there to win games. So know where you're at, know where you're going, set a goal, go after it. Don't listen to the naysayers. And when someone throws a brick wall in front of you and you fail, go around the damn thing or run right through it, whatever you choose to do. But don't listen to those naysayers. They're there, they're everywhere. Don't listen to them, stay focused. And you know what? You will get to where you're going. Those are wise, wise words from Jack Mueller. Jack, how do we follow you um, and the activity that you're doing? Is there a website or LinkedIn or what's the best way to follow your activities? Well, uh, both Ryan, CJ, and Evan told me to stay off social media. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I, I, I was on Twitter. I'm no longer. I have a LinkedIn and I'll post every now and then and I'll get calls from them saying, what the heck did you do that <laughs> for? Um, but I try to stay behind the scenes. I guess I'm rather the guy that likes to prop up the Fluties and the Bradys and, and the others. Um, I like to be part of a team, quite honestly. Um, don't enjoy the spotlight on me. Hmm. Um, being part of a team is something I was since I played Pop Warner when I was seven years old for uh, Sergeant Major James Falzone. Hmm. Um, and I enjoy that. Um, so I, I, uh, I do look forward to helping teams succeed. I have been coaching individuals, mentoring some young men. Um, I had one gentleman who made it all the way to the commissioner's office. Wow. A nice young man from Belmont, Mass., uh, who's now the commissioner of the PGA, Jay Monahan. I wow. love that, but I choose to stay behind the scenes, uh, try to prop up uh, the Generation Z, the millennials, and those younger. I think us, uh, us old people, you know, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, we still got a whole lot left. And I'd like to see a lot of us, including myself, be able to give back more. So you'll find me on LinkedIn every now and then. Uh, after that, I'm usually disappearing. Okay, got it. And uh, I totally hear you on that. I think, I think, uh, you know, you're saying the uh, us older gentlemen or us older generation, I think we need a lot of your wisdom. So I really, really appreciate uh, you coming on here. Obviously, you're not old, Jahan. You're no, not I'm old. not old. I was talking about you. I mean, I'm, I'm a young guy over here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, thank you so much for uh, sharing your wisdom. I'm uh, connecting with your sons later this week too. Uh, although Ryan pushed my meeting for golfing on Wednesday morning. So uh, I'll be giving him some shit for that. But other than that, uh, thank you so much, Jack, for, uh, for joining the podcast. And uh, we'll make sure to distribute this on all the channels tonight. And thank you for putting my silhouette behind you. Thank okay. you, Sean. <laughs> thank you. We have the same nose. Thanks, Jack. Take See care. Bye-bye.